Tibet. Known for its unmatched altitude as the roof of the world. North of India, Nepal, and Bhutan. Home to the highest peak, Mount Everest. Breathtaking mountains, valleys, and grasslands. The Tibetan Yak ancient Buddhist temples and monasteries. The rivers that originate in the Tibetan Plateau sustain nearly half of Southeast Asia. Annexed by China in 1950. In modern times, the traditional languages and culture of Tibet have faded. And the Tibetan nomadic people have suffered. My guests today, Meg Farino and Abu Lama, founded an organization called the Pure Land Project to honor the Tibetan way of life, to share it with the outside world, and to help those here in need, providing schools, wells, medical care, and a sense of respect that the people deserve. On this edition of the Edge of Adventure podcast, we travel to Tibet for the Pure Land Project. This is where adventure meets purpose, where we get to know those who live life beyond status quo. My name is Adam Asher, and this is the Edge of Adventure podcast. Today, I get the privilege of introducing an organization called the Pure Land Project, and they work in Tibet and with the people of Tibet. We're going to learn about the country. We're going to learn about the organization. So many things to delve into today. But first, let me just welcome my guests. I have both the co-founders of the Pure Land Project on the line today. Meg Ferino is co-founder and executive director. Meg, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. I'm excited to be here. And also, Abu Lama is joining us, one of the co-founders. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great to meet you both. Great to have you on the show. I already have a lot of respect for what you guys do from my research as I've prepared for this conversation. So now now is when it really gets good. We get to learn more about what you do and the importance of Tibet and the life for the Tibetan people and why the Pure Land Project is so very important. Meg, I want to get your perspective on Tibet. Before we delve in too much to what the Pure Land Project is and all that you do, what is Tibet and why does it matter? Well, that's a very big question <laughs> to start off with. Um, and not being Tibetan, I um, appreciate Abu Lama offering his ideas around um, what makes Tibet really important. And rich place culturally and environmentally it's one of the highest plateaus in the in the whole world and that makes it extremely special biologically and culturally so there are plenty of places inside of tibet that are considered biocultural hotspots 
these are at risk of being lost at this point. And so that is mainly what, what brought me to this area and why I think it's so crucial that people know about Tibet. Uh, Tibet is actually the source of most of Asia's water. And that is of crucial importance to keep pure and safe for people across the rest of China, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, India, Nepal, all of those countries depend on the water that is caught in those glaciers of Tibet, of that high plateau. And the people of Tibet are those that are keeping that water clear and clean for the rest of Asia. So those people and their traditional ecological knowledge is really precious for the health and well-being of Asia. This is The Edge of Adventure. We're talking the Pure Land Project. First question, of course, right out of the gate, we had to talk about Tibet and what it is and why it's important, because I think that helps to set the stage for why the Pure Land Project matters so much. And of course, here on The Edge of Adventure, we love to focus on these organizations and these people serving others. I like to say serving something bigger than themselves. Today's certainly no exception to that. We're getting to know about the Pure Land Project. There is a lot of um, cultural struggle there um, between Tibetans becoming developed on their own terms, keeping their own culture and their own land uh, in the ways that feel authentic for them, as well as making sure that the environment is, is protected. China, the Chinese government, did come into Tibet um, back in the 1940s and officially in 59. And so Pure Land Project began when my teacher, who is also Abu Lama's teacher, Garchen Rinpoche, had asked me to help with his schools that he had helped build uh, back in 2005 is when I actually moved there. And so um, when I arrived, I realized that it's such an isolated place and the people were asking for assistance with education, with medical care, with um, other social services. And I thought, you know, these people are incredibly pure and um, beautiful and do not have this uh, bridge to the outside that could actually support them to help get their needs met. This is The Edge of Adventure. That's Meg Ferrino, co-founder, executive director of the Pure Land Project. And also on the line is Abo Lama, both co-founders for the Pure Land Project. Abo, what are some of the needs that the people of Tibet have or perhaps are experiencing today? Right, so Abu Lama um, is sharing about the potential extinction of the Tibetan languages. So inside of schools, it's actually very difficult to learn Tibetan language. And he said the biggest, one of the biggest concerns for Tibetans these days is actually learning Tibetan, their mother tongue which is actually endangered. And just to share a little bit more about why, how a language could become endangered like this. Um, so as I, as I mentioned earlier, the Chinese government has um, taken control of Tibet since the 1950s, and the schools are all now in Chinese medium. 
meaning that Tibetans do not often have the opportunity to learn how to read and write in their own language. And oftentimes it's not even spoken because a lot of Tibetans attend boarding schools. And at these boarding schools, they're using Chinese to even speak with each other and speak with the um, parents and headmasters and such. So this is how um, the Tibetic, it's actually a whole new group of languages, Tibetic languages are actually endangered at this point. And of course, the loss of the language is synonymous with uh, the loss of culture, right? One of the reasons why holding on to your original language is important is because it is a, it's a t- direct tie to, to your culture and to your heritage. And the Pure Land Project is helping to keep that part alive. How does one combat that? Well, it's very complex. We had actually helped sustain four different local schools um, in the area where Abu is from, which is called Kham. And that's an eastern region in Tibet. And just to locate Tibet, it's actually the high plateau north of Nepal. So that's north of India, Bangladesh. You can even see it above uh, Vietnam. So that high plateau has a lot of mountain ranges, not only the range of the Himalayas, but many different ranges that add to different, having different language groups because nomadic people obviously travel a lot, but oftentimes within these mountain ranges. And so um, we have schools for these nomadic people in four different areas where um Garchan Rinpoche, uh, both of our teacher, he acts as, as their spiritual advisor. And so the communities had actually gone to Garchan Rinpoche and asked for him to offer them the gift of education. And so he established these schools to be able to teach in Tibetan language and in the local villages so these students can actually go home every day and speak Tibetan, eat Tibetan food, be with the livestock that, you know, is a traditional uh, livelihood for Tibetans, either doing farming work or nomadic work are, are the traditional livelihoods for Tibetans. The method we have been using is mainly having schools. Those are some of our school students on a a frozen lake in Gargun. That's Abu Lama's village. Also, we do have winter language intensives for those students who have graduated from our primary schools and they have gone on to boarding schools in, in the cities or even college. We invite them back to the village so that they can um, come and study Tibetan language for the month that they have winter holiday. And so they get uh, a month of just pure Tibetan language. This is The Edge of Adventure. You guys know me. My name's Adam Asher, and I've got two great guests today. Meg Ferino, co-founder, executive director, and also Abu Lama, co-founder, for the Pure Land Project. And I told them, I told them right before we started the broadcast. I said, this is a very unique interview. This is a very unique opportunity. And it's one where I, I will admit I'm learning. I'm learning a lot from this conversation. Meg, you mentioned a minute ago about the nomadic people. And I want 
for both for me and for the listeners and the viewers, I want to put this into perspective, life for the nomadic people of Tibet, the Tibetans. What is life like? And I'll pose that question to Abu Lama and certainly Meg, your assistance in the translation is wonderful. So uh, please feel free to do that. Got it, love from Meg. The Pugi Dropagi looks so country country they do. So Abu Laba shared that, um, you know, the Tibetan nomadic culture is um, really based on the livestock and also they, they have, um, you know, mainly yak, but also sheep and living in a tent. So the black tent is really a special symbol of Tibet. Um, and just to <laughs> give a little explanation of this, the black tent is actually woven from the black yak hair wool. And so uh, the Tibetans weave this tent uh, themselves after um, you know, shearing the hair of their livestock in the summer. This is really a beautiful symbol of Tibetan life as, as it traditionally has been uh, for nomads is that black tent. He also said, you know, all of the foods that come from the animals like milk, cheese, butter, meat, those are the staple foods uh, for Tibetan people. And you can see all of those foods are from the female yak, dr, or with the male yak, they are called yak, or a crossbreed of a yak and a cow, which are called zop and zomo. Abu Lama also shared about how nomads are always moving in the summer, kind of chasing the grass um, so that their animals can have enough to eat. And then in the winter, they also, they usually move down the mountain towards the valley for warmth, but also for, for water and grasses. But during the summer, they move up the mountains and they, they keep moving throughout the summertime. That's the voice of Meg Ferino, co-founder, executive director at the Pure Land Project. You can look them up at thepurelandproject.org. And as we have already established, we also have Abo Lama on the line as well. And thanks to Meg for the exceptional translation, interpretation. Wonderful. When you speak the language, you know the culture at a much deeper level than you do even through translation. You know, some things are just lost through translation and we do the best we can. You can't speak every language, but it is really something special when a person learns another language, a second, third language and so forth. You know, maybe here in a minute, Meg, I'll ask you a little bit about your story, but before we, we get into that too much, I want to know the Pure Land Project. Help me understand. I'll ask this question of, of Abu Lama. Why is this organization called the Pure Land Project? So uh, a Pure Land is a place with no suffering and um, only freedom, liberation, joy. So 
So uh, to expand upon that, Pure Land um, is a type of Buddhist meditation where you envision everything, as Abu Lama said, without any suffering, freedom from suffering and sorrow, being completely immersed in joy and uh, perfection. Many people throughout Buddhist uh, traditions have this practice of actually imagining, meditating on everything they see, everything they hear, everything they taste, every sense is experiencing perfection. I was blessed to be able to learn some of the Pure Land meditations through uh, the generosity of Tibetan Buddhist teachers. When I arrived to Tibet, I just thought, I don't need to imagine anymore. This is very easy. I just look. <laughs> and uh, the, everywhere I looked in the mountains, it was, it was really like perfection right there in, in the pristine environment in those mountains and in the vast blue sky. It really didn't take much imagination whatsoever. So I thought, well, this will be easy <laughs> to practice my Pure Land meditation right here. This is The Edge of Adventure, and we will continue in just a moment with my conversation with Meg Farino and Abu Lama, both of whom are joining us today from the Pure Land Project. And since each week we have new listeners joining us from around the globe, I'd like to welcome you and thank you for taking the time to tune in to today's program. We have a new show each week, and we always feature organizations and people who have chosen to live adventurous lives and to live them with purpose. These are the ones who have chosen to live life for something bigger than themselves, those who have chosen to take all the good and the bad that's happened to them and put it to use helping others. I call it the edge of adventure because when we make that decision to leave behind our status quo, when we choose to go bravely into the future, to serve others with a sense of purpose. That's when the good stuff begins. That's when we're just about to set out on the most exciting and fulfilling journey yet. That, my friend, is the edge of adventure. A great place to start to learn more is theedgeofadventure.com. That's theedgeofadventure.com. Or look for the new mobile app in app stores. It's called rugged compass and we'd love to have you with us there's no charge to download it no charge to use it it's called rugged compass and it's available both for apple and android now back to my conversation with meg Farino and abu lama from the pure land project right here on the edge of adventure podcast meg Farino is the co-founder okay we're talking the pure land project understanding a little bit more about why it would be called the Pure Land Project. Now, I want to know the different objectives of the organization. Megan, I'll ask you that question. What, what are the primary objectives for the Pure Land Project? There are a lot of difficulties for Tibetans inside of Tibet to maintain their biocultural diversity which is crucial for all of Asia. They're maintaining their own language. As you said, language is such an important means to express oneself, but 
part of that expression is around one's environment. And so oftentimes when we see language loss, we see that actually we have great biodiversity deficits because if someone doesn't know the name of those grasses that Tibetan nomads depend on for their livestock, if they don't know what that longer grass is called and climate change is actually decreasing the amount of that higher grass, if people don't talk about that grass, when it's lost, no one misses it because it doesn't have a name that is that is practiced, used anymore. So we want to ensure that languages are not lost, that that traditional ecological knowledge is maintained and shared, even spread, that this beautiful culture, and I'm not trying to make Tibet to be this mystical you know, perfection, even though I just said it is like a pure land. Ecologically, it is. Um, there are also many difficulties within the culture. Many of our projects, besides the uh, language learning programs, another objective is really to increase equity inside of Tibet so that um, men and women find equal grounding. Because in many ways, Tibetan women have a very, very hard life. Living as a nomad is extremely hard, but particularly in this area of Kham, women do a huge amount of work. They're not only taking care of children, which you know many people know that's a full-time job in itself, but they are taking care of herds of yak, sometimes herds of sheep. They are, when I say taking care, that means waking up before dawn to milk all of the head of livestock. So if they have you know, a hundred head of yak that takes a couple hours to milk. And then they have to set them out to graze. And then they have to follow them up and down mountains that would take most Americans out of breath. (laughs) And then they usually go back to their home carrying, you know, pails of water or dung for fuel or wood for fuel. And then they make lunch for the family. Then they go back out, you know, to go fetch the yak and then they milk the yak again. So this tremendous amount of work causes women to have a lot of health issues that are not addressed. And so we try and offer health care through traditional medicine clinics, as well as training traditional doctors. So that knowledge is also not lost. And on top of that, we try and ensure that people have better uh, nutrition uh, through building greenhouses and also clean water by digging wells. All of the villages that we work in now do already have wells and greenhouses, although we do try and keep encouraging people to to really take care of the waterways and and continue to grow uh, their own food. So our objectives are, are quite varied although they all fit under the umbrella of uh, sustaining, not just in a, in a still kind of way, but in an expansive way of sustaining culture so that it can grow and um, even improve. This is The Edge of Adventure. That's Meg Ferino, co-founder, executive director of the Pure Land Project in Tibet. You can look them up online at thepurelandproject.org. And also on the line is Abu Lama. He is also co-founder. And the next question is going to go to him. 
you both have made mention of your teacher, Garchin Rinpoche. Abo, I would love, I would like you to tell me and to tell the listening audience who your teacher is and why his teachings are so important. So, uh, first of all, in, in the Tibetan tradition, uh, we have uh, tukus, which are an incarnate system because uh, Buddhists believe in reincarnation. So the consciousness at the time of death is brought into another being at their time of birth. So in the tuku system, and I'm I'm going at an <laughs> explanation of what uh, Abu Lama had shared because I, I'm thinking maybe the listeners don't know what a tuku is. So the tuku is then the embodiment of an enlightened being that has passed away. So at the age of seven, Gartran Rinpoche was recognized as a tuku, which means in a previous life, he was the previous Garchen Rinpoche. And the term Rinpoche is directly translated to mean precious jewel, which means that a Rinpoche is generally not only a tuku, which means they are recognized as being a reincarnated master of Tibetan Buddhism, but they are also really spiritually realized. So the term Rinpoche is like the highest um, term that someone could be given in, in Tibetan culture. So first of all, at the age of seven, Gartner Rinpoche was recognized as a tuku. And then he began, you know, studying Buddhism. And when he was the age of 28, that was the time of the Cultural Revolution. He was at that time captured and imprisoned for 20 years. And that is actually where he met one of his main teachers. And he... He did an incredible job practicing in Chinese prison. And so a huge reason why, a second reason why Rinpoche is so important is that actually he studied Buddhism and and has this practice uh, that is so strong. And he is always focused on helping others and uh, putting others ahead. So he really embodies this practice of um, trying to remove suffering from the world, from other people. No matter where he, he goes in the world, people can kind of recognize this. People recognize that he is constantly trying to benefit others. He has this mindset and he has this, this just um, really encompassing compassion and love that people can, can feel from all over. Right, so the second question of why are Garchan Rinpoche's uh, teachings important, he says that Garchan Rinpoche has traveled the world uh, sharing the teachings of benefiting others is the easiest way to <laughs> describe the practice and, and the lifestyle, really, that Garchan Rinpoche teaches and it actually brings joy and um, brings people together from all over the world that can hear these teachings about how to actually benefit other people to think about um, other rather than the self at all times. So I think now would be an exceptional time for you to then connect us to 
the Institute. You guys work closely with the Garchin Institute of Tibet, the uh, website, which I pulled up momentarily on the screen for those of you watching the video version a minute ago. I'll pull that back up again, but it's uh, Garchin Institute Tibet.com. But Meg, tell us about what that is. The, the role of the Institute is what? So the role of the Institute is to share uh, the beauty of Tibetan culture and awareness of the importance of the Tibetan mountains and, and landscape um, and the protection of that very particular biological landscape that, that is out there. Um, the Institute is a place for not only the local people to practice their own traditions of language and culture, but also for foreigners and uh, Chinese travelers to come and actually learn something from Tibetan nomads. Uh, they're, they're really special language, they're special traditions and skills. So it, it is a place um, that is at the top of a mountain in, in the village with spectacular views, unlike any other place. When I even bring Tibetans there, they're like, wow, <laughs> this is a beautiful place. A really, really special environment where um, we have Tibetan uh, professor who uh, will be teaching Tibetan philosophy classes for those who are interested. We'll also be bringing in other traditions from outside, such as yoga, and um, be sharing meals together, some of which will be, you know, Tibetan-inspired, uh, which is really um, a very simple uh, set of dishes, but also very incredibly linked with that land. And we'll also be teaching cooking. The local communities have also um, come up with their own classes. So there are special uh, crafts and uh, skills that Tibetan nomads possess that are um, really helpful <laughs> if anyone's interested in such things as survival skills. Tibetan children were the ones that taught me really how to make a good fire. Um, how to forage for, you know, wild mushrooms and wild medicines. Would we have um, woodworking courses because there's a tradition of Tibetan carpentry. In that picture right there, if you look in the very top right corner, there's a little white building <laughs> at the top of that, the top of that hill, and that's actually the institute. So we we hope to share Tibetan culture in a way that actually um, invites people to promote it in a way that elevates its value. Not only, you know, globally, but actually for Tibetan nomads themselves. Because it's very easy for Tibetan nomads to think of themselves as not possessing much, be it knowledge, culture, wealth, you know. And in actuality, these are some of the richest people in the world is, is I've experienced, you know, they have, they possess great contentment and joy and um, live a beautiful lifestyle of simplicity, really compassion and connection to the natural world. And so I'm hoping that uh, the visitors that come can 
share in in that learning of that uh, simplicity and satisfaction, but also share with Tibetans that actually that's of great value and something that very few people actually possess in today's culture, whether or not we have the latest iPhone and, you know, air conditioning or, you know, like heating systems inside of the house and free flowing water from the taps. Many of us are still unsatisfied deep down inside. And so learning from Tibetans, you know, really a, a deeper sense of contentment and happiness and where that really comes from, this selfless state of being is really something that I hope that the Institute can share and, and celebrate, as well as um, bringing in economic gifts to the region. It is an economically poor place. People are subsistence nomads, meaning that they live directly off of their herd. Uh, many of these families don't have another income. And nowadays, things do cost money. They have motorcycles that need gas, that need fixing. They have solar panels that sometimes need to be updated. And so we do hope that bringing visitors in, that these visitors actually can exchange not only those knowledge and skills and really sense of gratitude and, and um, learning, but they can also offer some financial assistance to this region that doesn't have many opportunities for bringing in income. And there is this um, really difficult um, urban migration that is happening. Well, of course, we support all of our students going on for higher education in the cities and attending college and getting their dream jobs. We also very much encourage people to come back to the village and, and live that nomadic lifestyle that is traditional and, and beautiful and really protecting that vast area that's the, at the top of the world, um, protecting the waters and really protecting biocultural diversity for the rest of us. Meg Fedinho is co-founder and executive director at the Pure Land Project. Also on the line, Abu Lama, the uh, other co-founder of this organization. Meg, I have a, a final question. It's kind of a two-pronged question for you. A, why did you found this organization? Uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, what are you hoping to accomplish? Big picture, okay? And then the second half of that question is how can people help you to achieve that? Really, when I, you know, when we talk about co-founding an organization, I was a complete outsider that landed in this very remote village back in 2005. As a foreigner, honestly, I wasn't very much accepted in, in this very, very close community of people until my teacher, Gretchen Rinpoche, really told them, hey, I sent this crazy American woman here. You know, she, you know she's one of my students and, and helping. So first of all, Gretchen Rinpoche, my teacher, my spiritual teacher who gave me the most incredible gifts that anyone can be given. You know, he, he taught me, you know, unconditional love about freedom and liberation. He has set just an incredible example for me. And so when he asked me to offer his homeland something, I jumped at the opportunity. And so when I arrived and I started Pure Land Project to offer assistance in the ways that Tibetan people were asking for assistance, um, I thought, 
you know, this, this may continue to, to grow and expand because there are lots of needs here in, in this village and then in the next village and in the next village. And I didn't quite understand at that point that, nor could I expect that this place would become a home. These people that were somewhat alarmed at a foreigner showing up in their village would then really embrace me and call me family and um, trust me to help educate their children and help educate the, the village around um, plastic use and, and disposal of plastics and tree planting and vegetable growing and, and that they would also, you know, educate me. You know, I, I always received such a, a larger education just being there and uh, from the community. And so I really hope with Pure Land Project to try and expand that type of exchange that changed my life because I think Tibetans, and not perfect, you know, have a lot of beautiful wisdom to share with the world uh, that is crucial for us to know at this time how to actually live in balance, in simplicity, with happiness, and um, really in close collaboration with others. So my hope for Pure Land Project is not only really to help the community that I consider family and the place that I consider one of my homes, to help them sustain their own culture, but also to share their culture and for other people to learn the beautiful lessons that I was so blessed to receive uh, for so many years. Through the Institute, I really hope to create a more sustainable way of Tibetans being able to help themselves rather than depending so much on what we depend on now, which comes into my, my ask. The Pure Land Project is a nonprofit because, like I said, uh, there are very few ways to actually raise money within Tibet. And so we do depend on the generosity of foreigners. And so we run all of our programs, um, all of our teachers, our cooks, our headmasters, the, um, the gardeners in, for the greenhouses, the um, medical doctors. All of these people are employed through donations. And the Pure Land Project is very different than other organizations in the way that we actually don't take any overhead costs as the organization. All of our board members are volunteers. And as board members, we also pay for all of our overhead costs, which we keep very low. But we don't send out multi-million dollar mailings like, you know, many other organizations do. We actually just um, depend on the generosity of those that we are able to reach organically through uh, opportunities like this. Thank you very much, Adam, for providing this opportunity and through word of mouth and hopefully through through trips, through tours uh, to uh, Garchan Institute Tibet. Right. So, so we have the website, GarchanInstituteTibet.com. And through that website, you can see what we are offering. Unfortunately, because of COVID, uh, lovely COVID, we are unable to run tours at this moment. 
We are hoping that our tours will be up and running in 2022 and that we will be able to bring people um, to experience beautiful Tibetan spring and summertime to come and have these amazing exchanges and all 100% of the profits of those tours actually go towards the schools, the hospitals, all of our other social programs into that, as well as when, you know, the, the things that we're not calling profit are still deeply rooted in those communities and offering great work to people that are our drivers, who are our teachers, who are cooking, and uh, also just helping manage the institute. So it's bringing jobs to this area that otherwise doesn't have many options. So in all ways, <laughs> taking a tour uh, with Pure Land will actually assist the community in very deep ways. So the final question for the interview goes to Abu Lama, and it is a two-part question. Abu Lama, what would you like to see for Tibet, and what would you like to see for the world? So, um, Abu Lama's wish for Tibet is that Tibetan children can have uh, Tibetan literacy, really, and, and be able to sustain their culture so that Tibetan culture is actually sustained um, and not lost. So that's his, his greatest wish for Tibet, is, is for Tibetan culture to be sustained, particularly through children. And as for you know, a wish for the world, that is the people of the world to really be able to express pure love and um, boundless compassion for one another, and really to embody that, that type of unbound love. Wisdom, very peaceful conversation, and it has been great to get to know you guys a little bit, just a little bit more, and to learn about the Pure Land Project, and everybody should uh, find out more by going to thepurelandproject.org or the URL for the institute is garcheninstitutetibet.com, garcheninstitutetibet.com. And you can always go to my website, theedgeofadventure.com. You will see a post for this interview. You'll be able to watch the video version from there. You'll be able to listen to the audio version, get all the links, including the links to both of their projects, the Pure Land Project and the Garchin Institute. So that'll be there in case you didn't get a chance to write it down or if you're not exactly sure how to spell something, all the links will be there at theedgeofadventure.com. A couple of great people doing great things. I'm struck by what a wonderful thing it is when a person decides their life isn't just about them, that they're called to lay their life down in some fashion for something bigger than themselves. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And you hear that expressed in a variety of different ways, of course, but it's always special. And that was certainly here today as I think about you, Meg, and Abu Lama, as both of you have this this heart and you have the, you know you're going to this effort you're going to all this trouble to do something for someone else. Meg Farino is co-founder and executive director of the Pure Land Project, also co-founder Abo Lama. Both of them have been my guest today for the show. Thank you both very much. I look forward to talking to you again in the future 
And thanks for taking the time today and thanks for what you do. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. My name is Adam Asher, and you've been listening to the Edge of Adventure podcast. To learn more, log on to theedgeofadventure.com. And while you're there, check out the video series where we go off the grid to discover some of the great things people are doing all around the globe to make the world a better place. I call it my search for adventure and purpose. You'll find us on social media too. Just look for the hashtag, The Edge of Adventure. Thanks for joining us. Always great to have you with us as together we aim to live life for something bigger than ourselves. This is The Edge of Adventure, where we go beyond status quo.